0: So we are wrapping up our series um, called Oikos. And if you have been a part of our series this uh, last five weeks, we've been looking at this idea that's all through the New Testament, which is that we are called by Jesus to bring the good news to the people in our household. That's what the word oikos means. It's a Greek word for household. And we are wrapping that series up today. And I want to um, start this morning by, by kind of getting our minds thinking uh, along the lines of this topic as we end today. And that's with a question. How many of you have ever been a part of a winning team? Maybe it was a, a, a sports team you were part of, maybe in high school or uh, maybe college. Um, I'm still like reliving my glory days and hitting the game-winning shot, you know, in high school. I'm Uncle Rico from, uh, from Napoleon Dynamite, you know, that kind of thing. And you, you can kind of picture, maybe you've been on a winning team, maybe you just, maybe you didn't win a championship, but you had more wins than losses that, that year or whatever. Or maybe you're in a, a, in a company and you're on a team and your team had the highest sales or had the most clients or whatever. Um, or maybe it was in the military and, and you were a part of a winning team, right, in some way. And, you know, they say, if you're in a winning team, you're going to have these com- common, you know, traits. You're going to have a clear vision. Everyone is going to be in their sweet spot, right? There's going to be a strong commitment to what we're doing, what what the point of the team is, right, the game, whatever. Um, Everyone's going to be collaborating and contributing, no dead weight. Like, we're all working together, right? There's a desire to get better. There's a celebration of when the wins happen. There's unity. And this isn't really common sense, but you know what's really interesting is it's far easier to lose than to win, even if you have talent, Right? There's just something about the human nature, the human race, where it's easier for us to promote ourselves, right? To pad our own stats, to not really be unified around the vision uh, that we're there to do. And so I want to just ask this question as we kind of get into this last topic is, what if we saw ourselves as a team? What if the church, what if we really looked at spreading the good news of Jesus from that team perspective? What if we really thought about how can I help you reach your household? How can I help you like reach the people that God's put in your life? And how maybe can you help me? What if the church felt like that? What if every Sunday it was a reunion with your family and you're like, hey, let me tell you what God did at work this week. What if your life group had that kind of encouragement? And so I wanna, I wanna just uh, kind of end this series Acknowledging that this whole topic of sharing the good news can be really intimidating. I mean, we ta- we talked about we touched on this during this series, but I want to tell you I empathize with that. I'm a pastor, and it's hard for me sometimes to have spiritual conversations with people. I have the same kind of fears and 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 uh, you know pushbacks in my own heart. Like, am I really going to take the step to talk to someone? So I can tell you, I understand that. But what if instead of all the weight being on me, it was on we. What if what if it was more like football than golf, right? What if this idea of reaching our neighbors and our, our city was really something that we all worked on together? And I want to talk about a story today where you see just that. It's powerful. It is one of my favorites. I, I say that every Sunday, so I probably can't say that. This is a favorite of mine, though, okay? This is in Mark chapter 2. It's also in Luke chapter 5. And I want to get to the Luke text because this is where we're going to be today. This is the story of the guys who brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. Let's look at it. Luke chapter five. I love this. One day, Jesus was teaching and, Pharisee, and the Pharisees and teachers of law were sitting there. they had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. All right, it's not hard to see why this is a favorite story. This is great, right? This is right there with walking on the water and feeding the 5,000. If you ever taught in LM Kids, I'm sure this is one of the crowd favorites there too. I mean, who doesn't like to teach the little kids about these guys ripping the roof apart, especially if you're a boy? Like, yeah, tear stuff up, right? Just bring people to Jesus, right? Uh, Shameless plug teaching in the LM kids is a wonderful thing that you should think about doing. Okay, all right, we'll get back to the sermon. Um, But man, what a great story. It's just so powerful on so many levels. Um, There's there's these obstacles to bringing someone to Jesus. And these people come past that. I love this so much. Let's dive back in. I want to show you some, some background of this. Back in verse 17. Notice it says that people had come to to hear about Jesus from every village in Galilee, but also from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, this is big stuff. Uh, We talked about this last week that Jesus had kind of set his headquarters up in this town of Capernaum, which is in Galilee. And so this is the same town. This is where Jesus is. This is the same town of Peter and Andrew and James and John. This is where Matthew that we learned about last week. This is where he lived too. And so Jesus is in this same town. And and so his reputation has gotten so large that people are willing to travel from the capital city up to Galilee, up to this little town of Capernaum. Now, most people will travel the other direction. Most of the time you're a Galilean and you're making the long trek down to Jerusalem to go to the temple. But now we have this in reverse. We have Judeans making the long trip up to Galilee just because Jesus is healing. Right before this, Jesus had healed a man uh, of leprosy, uh, a, a, a terrible disease in the first century. And not only did Jesus heal this man, he touched this man, demonstrating just love for this person that was an untouchable in society. And so uh, just before this, also Jesus cast a demon out of a man. And he actually tells, tells the man not to tell anyone, but he, but he doesn't listen to Jesus. He tells everybody. And so now we're seeing the results of the miracles in Capernaum. His fame has grown. The place is crowded. People from out of town are coming to see Jesus. And now our story kind of takes place. And so back to verse 19, when they could not find a way, I love this. When they could not find a way to do this, to bring this paralyzed man, because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof. Now, I I love this story and you know why? Because it's so fun to imagine, right? Isn't it? I mean, let's just try to put ourselves in these uh, these sandals, okay? So you are, uh, a first, let's imagine you're the paralyzed guy, right? And you've got a few friends. I imagine there are four of them. There might have been more. I don't know. But I picture one on every corner. And the funny thing about this story is I've done this story before, like in chapel or in other places, and I ask for volunteers because that's what you do when you're teaching little kids. And the, the the paralyzed guy always gets dropped in the story. I'm sorry, it happens, right? I'm not going to demonstrate that. To but think about this. So there's a man, and he's paralyzed, and he has these friends, and they've heard about Jesus, and they want to bring Jesus. They want to bring him to Jesus, and so they carry him. I want you to picture like this man, this this helpless person who can't get to Jesus on his own. Come on. And he needs some people to bring him to Jesus. And he's got some friends that, that love him. They have some fr- he has some friends in his life who've, who've been around Jesus and seen what Jesus can do. And so they're like, hey, I want to bring my friend who can't get to Jesus. He's paralyzed. He has no way of getting there alone. I want to get him to Jesus. And so I want you to picture the man going along with this first. I want you to imagine like, what the conversation was. Like, hey, Fred, <laughs> look, I'm going to take you to this rabbi how am I going to get there? Well, we're going to carry you, right? Like, really? Yeah. I got Bill and, and Bob and a few other guys. I don't know, whoever, right? We're all going to carry you. I got, I got to use Semitic names. I got Shamil, you know, I don't know. I, we're all going to carry you to meet, to meet him, to meet Jesus. And so he, he says, okay, right? And so he's now being carried and they, they get close closer to this little Palestinian house, right? Because that's what, it, these little houses I've been there, they are they are just these small, like thousand square foot or less, little places, right? And so it wouldn't take very many people to fill up that house. In fact, the, the, you can picture the crowd is spilling out into the street all around this house where Jesus is inside teaching. And I'm sure people are just trying to get an earshot of what this wonder-working rabbi is saying? Like, this guy who can cast demons out and who can heal people, but he's talking of the kingdom of God. What is this, what is this Jesus saying? And so they're listening. I can imagine, like, the, the, the crestfallen chest of when they realize it's not going to be easy to get this person to Jesus. They, they have all these great plans, and they, they were so enthusiastic and so full of zeal about it, right? Like, we got this, man. We're going to bring you to Jesus, and he's going to heal you, you know? And you just get there and you can't get within a mile of Jesus or whatever because the crowd is all around. And then the wheels start turning. I don't know which of the guys have the idea, but they're like, hey, I got an idea. We're going we're to we're do this army ranger style, right? We're going to bring this guy to Jesus by any means, come on, any means necessary. Guys, you think there are obstacles that people face today meeting Jesus? Do you think there are people who maybe would want to meet Jesus or we know they need to meet Jesus, but there are people in the way for them to meet Jesus? There are obstacles. There's there's a crowded house. There's a situation, right? It might not be the exact scenario, but it's things like we talked about last week. There's their pain. Maybe their experience with church in the past or religious figure in the past, and they have this wound, And that's keeping them back from going back to Jesus. That's keeping them out of church. That's keeping them away from the community. It could just be doubt. It could be intellectual struggles with faith in general. Like I just, I would love to trust Jesus, but I'm such a skeptic. I, I have so many things that, just so many questions. And I wonder how can you believe in a loving God if there's so many terrible things that happen in this world? Obstacles to meeting Jesus, things that get in the way. But lucky for this guy, he had some friends that loved him that said, bro, we're going to get you there. I'm going to help you. Even if I got to carry you, even if I got to tear a roof off the, off the building, we're going to get you to Jesus. Guys, what if we had that kind of tenacity in our hearts for our oikos? What if that was the way we looked at our, the people in our house, in our world that we loved? We're going to do everything we can to get them to Jesus. Man, it's a powerful story. I want to show you that, that this idea of working together, and that's what's so beautiful about this story. These guys work together to bring him to Jesus. This is something that is in the rest of the New Testament as well. In fact, those of you who have read the New Testament, you know that after the Gospels, we have a series of, of letters. They're books of the Bible, but they're really letters that Paul and other leaders of the church wrote to Christians, wrote to churches. And in one of those letters, Paul talks about this teamwork that he saw in this church. They worked together to bring people to Jesus. It's in Philippians. And Paul is writing this letter. He's writing from a prison cell, but he picks up this pen to write this letter to these people in Philippi. And you got a picture a smile that just comes over his face. He starts to write and he says, every time I think of you, so he's thinking about this church, you know, just like you've written a letter before, you know, that person you're writing to just coming. you're kind of putting them before your mind. And so he's doing that. And this is kind of naturally comes out, man, every time I put you before my mind, every time I think of you, look, what he says, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. He, he goes on, he says, for you have been, let's all say this word, my partners. Man, he's like, Every time I think of you guys, I'm like, man, those are my partners up there. Those are people helping me carry people to Jesus. Those are people I can count on that when I say, hey, I've got someone that needs to meet Jesus. Are you in? They're like, I'm in. Let's go. Like, let's help that person meet Jesus. He says, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. He, he's, he's just commending this church. A couple verses later, near the end of this first chapter, look what he says else. He says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Guys, this is powerful. Paul is saying, Look, right now, most of you, because this was a Roman colony, we've talked about this church, this church at Philippi before, this was a Roman colony, and they were obsessed with Roman citizenship. Like that was the big deal. Like, wow, you're a Roman citizen. He's like, look, guys, I have better citizenship for you. Come on. I have something way more important than whether you've got that status as a Roman citizen. You are a citizen of heaven. Now I want you to live in a manner worthy of that. Guys, we know Jesus. We've been healed by, if you've been healed by Jesus, man, I want you to check right now. If that's happened to you, like that's happened to me. Man, where would we be without Jesus? And so Paul is saying, look, look, you are a citizen now of heaven. King Jesus is returning. That's our true and coming King. And I want you to live in a way that's worthy of that citizenship. Then he goes on, look what he says, the last part of the same verse. He says this, then whether I come to see you again, if he gets out of prison, or I hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul is expecting this church to continue their partnership in the good news, to continue that one heart. Another translation puts it side by side, striving for the good news. Like it's a picture of, of a teammate. Like I've got your side, you've got my flank. Like together we're going in and we're bringing people to Jesus. This is a winning team. But you remember how I told you like winning teams, they, they have those, those qualities about them, right? They're, they're on the same page. Everybody's in their sweet spot. They're each using their gifts the right way. They got one goal. They're unified on that thing. You know, the truth of the matter is that's so true or should be true of a church but it isn't always true. Sometimes we aren't a team. Sometimes we're in competition. Sometimes we're in it for ourselves. Sometimes we come to church for, you know, the status of it or the look of it, or maybe people think well of me and other people feel like, well, I'm not as good as them so I don't belong in church. And I feel awkward because they're all, they've already got life figured out and and I don't think I belong there. And man, how terrible all that is, right? That's so far away from the simple gospel of bringing paralyzed people, to the one who can heal them, of which we all are. Can I get an amen? Let us not forget where we've come from, right? And so I want to show you where Paul says something else that's so powerful to another church, because this division had crept in. They were supposed to be focused on bringing people to Jesus, and instead they started splintering, right? And it's in the, it's in the letter to uh, the Corinthian church, and he, he says this. He says, he's, he's kind of addressing these Factions. There were like Team Apollos and Team Paul. Apollos was another preacher that had visited that church, and the church wasn't really focused on bringing people to Jesus. They were kind of focused on, you know, splitting up and who followed who. And he says this. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Then who is Paul? Guys, he says we are only God's servants, through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. Now, look what he goes on to say, and this is so powerful. He says, I planted the seeds in your heart. Paul was the first one there. I planted the seeds in your heart. Apollos came later and he watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering, right? But what's important is that God makes the seed grow. And then he finishes up, he says this. He says, the one who plants, And the one who waters, let's all say it together, works together. That's the point. We work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Guys, this is such a liberating thought when it comes to evangelism or sharing good news with your oikos. It's not all on your shoulders. It shouldn't be all on your shoulders. You are a part and a chain of people sharing good news to people. You are a part of what God is doing and God is gonna make the seeds that we plant grow. You guys, I, I, wanna, I wanna show you something about this, that what the enemy wants us to focus on is the factions that, and the divisions that are sometimes present in any group of people. And I think one of the things that breaks Jesus's heart more than anything is when churches fight with each other or where there's competitiveness among Christians. I think it would be the same thing. You know, one person says, I'm of central. Another says, I'm of hope. You know, uh, these are big churches in our, in our city, if you you don't know. Uh, And Paul's like, uh, what are you talking about? We're all in the mission of bringing the good news to Jesus. Like, why are we at, why are we having any competitiveness in our, in our churches at all? Why can't we all say, hey man, however this person gets brought to Jesus, God gets the glory. And therefore, I am so thrilled about that. Guys, we should be holding every church that preaches the good news of Jesus in prayer. Guys, when I go on my prayer walk, I start to think of all of the churches in our 10 mile radius, because that's the part where, I tell you, that's the part where God's just got my heart. And I start to pray for the Well Church. I start to pray for the Encounter Church. I start to pray for Mosaic Church and Hope Church and of course, Central Church. I start to pray for all of these churches. I go through this list. I list those pastors by name because guys, they're doing good work in our city. They're preaching the good news of Jesus. I will not Buy into the rivalry that that sometimes exists between pastors and churches. That is totally of the enemy. We are all on the same team bringing the good news of Jesus to the paralyzed people of our city. And I think this is so powerful here in in Paul because sometimes we do feel like it's all up to us. Sometimes we feel like, man, I, I have to bring the good news to my Oikos and I have to, you know. Plant the seed. I gotta water the seed. I gotta, you know, fertilize it, and all the way to the to the harvest. But I'm often wonder. I often wonder, like, how many other people had a conversation with someone before I ever did? How many times did someone else tell them about Jesus before I ever had a chance to? I think there's a beautiful story about this that just happened this week in in our community. Uh, Tyler told you that we went to the uh, to the rehab center this week, and we were able to baptize two people. And I want to tell you about one of those two. Her name is Betty Tan. I started visiting Betty maybe three or four months ago. And um, when I first, I was told by the director there, hey, go see Betty. She's really lonely. So I said, sure. I sometimes will go in there, talk to the the, the director, which is so God. Like we have a director who works there, who loves Jesus, who tells me where to go. That's crazy. She doesn't work for the church. She works for them, which is awesome. So anyway, go see Betty. She really could use a pastor. So I go in there and I start talking to to Betty. I find out she's originally from Singapore. She speaks fluent English, but her heart language is, is Mandarin. So we talk and sure enough, there's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of pain. I'm the first one that wants to listen to her in a long time. So she has a whole lot to share about people who've hurt her and where she's at. And you know, if you had nothing else to do all day than to sit in a bed, you'd probably think about that stuff too. So I just listen to her for a while, and then I just kind of reached out and I held her hand, and I just said, you know, Betty, I know you're holding on to a lot of heartache, but can I tell you there's something, there's a better way? You know, and so I started talking about Jesus, and she's like, yeah, she told me a little bit about her faith journey. When she was a child, she had some exposure to a Catholic uh, school when she was a little kid in Singapore, but then she'd go right back to all of her, the ways people have messed her over. So I was like, okay, I'll see you next week, you know? So I kept going back, and then one day, I brought Tyler Graham with me. And so Tyler's in there and man, who is more sincere than Tyler Graham? Like that guy, right? And he's like, oh, Betty, I wanna tell you about Jesus. And so he does, he does a great job. And I'm like, I love you, Tyler, man. So he's telling, talking about, well, pretty soon, other people in our, that go there, Start visiting Betty. I didn't even know. Everybody's visiting Betty, right? And so uh, one day, TJ, another guy in our young adult group, he's visiting Betty. He and I go in there. He goes, Yeah, I've seen her a few times. Like, great, let's go see her together. And so we start to talk to her, and I'm watching TJ. And he has some like ministry training in Florida. He went to a church there and he got some uh, missionary training. He was going to be a missionary. Maybe he still will. I don't know. TJ, if you're listening, you know, who knows, right? Um, So, He does such a great job just sharing with with Betty. And after we're done, Betty looks at me. He goes, that is a very good looking young man. I'm like, Betty, what are we doing here, right? (laughs) I come to find out that TJ starts to pray for Betty. And that missionary training that he had kicked in. And he says, you know what I know? That if people hear the good news in their heart language, it speaks even Louder. So he, God took the initiative to figure out a way to get her the Bible in Mandarin so she could listen to it while she's laying in her bed. Friends, for the last few weeks, she's been doing nothing but listening to Mandarin in her own language, uh, the Bible in her own language. Check out this video. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Watch this. So Betty, have you put your hope in Jesus? And do you know because he died on the cross, you will have eternal life? Yes. Baptize you, we baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Oh, in Christ. There's that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so good. Yeah. Man. I I couldn't I couldn't put her in the horse trough, so I just poured water on her. But we got the job done. Guys, that is amazing. And then we went and baptized another guy in the same facility right after that. God was at work, guys. And that is the church working together, somebody planting, another person watering, and God making it grow. That's what it means to work as a team. I wanna go back as we end today to that story though, where we started, because Jesus has a powerful teaching moment for everyone at that room when that young man is being lowered through the roof. And it reminds us of, it reminds us why bringing people to Jesus is so important in the first place. So back to uh, Luke 5, look what it says. When Jesus saw their faith, and I like that it's their faith, not just the young man there who's paralyzed, but the entire group, the, the, the friends who brought him, the people who are trying to overcome those obstacles, he sees all of their faith. And he says these powerful words. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. In that culture, there was this, this connection that they made that if you had paralysis or if something like leprosy or something like that had happened to you, it was probably because you were a sinner. And this is just a visible this demonstration of it. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Remember I told you there's those, those antagonists that were in the room, The Pharisees and the the scribes, the leaders uh, of the the Jewish uh, Torah, they, they listened to Jesus say these words. And notice what they say in the next verse. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know, he says, that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Guys, at this moment, Jesus has a powerful teaching moment for all of us. Because Jesus is looking at this man who's obviously paralyzed and he's gonna heal him. But he's gonna do more than just heal the physical man. He's gonna grant forgiveness to this man because of the man's faith. But here's the point. How is he able to demonstrate to everyone, including the man, that his sins are actually forgiven? It's because he's gonna connect the man's physical ailment with his spiritual one. He's gonna show that he has authority not just to heal the body, but to heal the soul. That Jesus can not just grant forgiveness of the paralysis, but forgiveness of the sin. And so at this, at, this story, at this moment in the story, Jesus asks a cryptic question. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And they're both easy to say. Neither one of them are hard to pronounce. But one is really hard to demonstrate. You see, what if Jesus were a fraud? What if Jesus was a liar? Just a rabbi who told people things that gave them false hope, like your sins are forgiven. Like one day you won't be judged for what you rightly deserve because of what I've done, you're gonna be free. You're gonna, you're gonna be set free from sin and you're gonna, you're gonna be allowed into the eternal kingdom that God has established. What if Jesus was a, was a fake? How, you, how would you know any different? And so in this story, Jesus shows a spiritual truth by demonstrating a physical truth. And he says to the man, I'm gonna pronounce an easy thing to say, but a hard thing to demonstrate. Your sins are forgiven. And when you rise up and walk, it'll show your sins have been forgiven because the authority granted me to forgive your sins is the authority granted me to heal your broken body. And in that moment, church, as N.T. Wright says, this is the whole gospel in miniature. This is the story of Jesus in miniature. It's the story of a, of a rabbi who teaches, a healer who heals, and a man who's convicted or con- you know, condemned for blasphemy, but then is vindicated when he raises him from the dead. When he raises that man from his, from his mat, the resurrection validates that Jesus can do what he claimed he can do. So my question here is for all of us, man, where are you at in this story? Are you you aware that every one of us without Jesus are like this paralyzed man? That we're stuck on the mat, right? That we can't move, that we're stuck there and we have no hope outside of Jesus And that that without Jesus, right, without him coming into your life, like you're never going to have any hope because there's no hope anywhere else. Jesus alone can forgive your sins. And this reminds us of why bringing people to Jesus is so important in the first place. Guys, people know they're sinners. They know it. They don't even need to be told it because they feel the weight and the condemnation of their bad choices every day. And they act out trying to cope with their guilt by doing more that they know adds to their own, just cycle of shame. They'll do things that they're embarrassed of, that they try to keep a secret, but it leaks out. And we have the message that says, hey, let me bring you to the one who can forgive your sins. Can I just have our church stand together as we, as we end? And I want us just to think about this, uh, this final call that Jesus is really coming to you. And if you could just have your, your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you this final call here. Like, how serious are you? If you're a Christian, I want to st- start talking to you first. How serious are you? about bringing people to Jesus. How much does bringing people to Jesus matter to you? Can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I get authoritative a little bit as a pastor for a second? Can I, can I use my authority just for a second? Guys, listen, there's a million things you can distract your life with. There's a million priorities you can put at first, second, and third place in your life with. But guys, there's only one thing that's needed. Jesus said that to Mary once and to Martha, there's only one thing that's needed. And Mary chose the better part, he says to her sister. She was so distracted in the kitchen and and, and she was so doing all those things. And Mary was at Jesus' feet. She made the kingdom of God her priority. Guys, where's our priority as a church? Where's our priority as a people? Do we think about ways to bring people to Jesus? Are we willing to be a team? Are we willing to tell others, maybe our accountability team with our, 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 our life groups, hey, like these are the people I'm praying with. Will you pray with me? Will you help me bring these people to Jesus? Like that's the question. Does the kingdom of God have first place in your life? Are you thinking about people who need Jesus in your, in your family? Did you take the little card we gave you last week and did you fill it out this week? I'm asking. Or did it just go kind of in the shelf or whatever or in the trash? Guys, listen. I am convinced that Jesus has a heart for Henderson and he's looking for covenant partners, people who will let the burden that he feels for our city be their burden. And that when we walk around our town and we see the people that we we maybe work with or we shop with or whatever, those people that are in our world that we say, Lord, how can they know Jesus? Help us to bring the good news of Jesus into each of these people's lives because they're paralyzed, they're stuck, and they're lost. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, man, this morning, I wanna give you just the ABCs of the good news first, admit. Admit that you have sinned against God. Admit that. Right where you stand, you can pray, God, I I know I've sinned against you. And truly, I need to be forgiven. I want you to think about that. Number two, believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah King, and that he died in my place on the cross, and he canceled out my sin. And then finally, commit Commit your life right where you stand to King Jesus. He gave up his life for you. Now you give your life up for him. Guys, right after the service, we're gonna watch 10 people publicly declare that Jesus is King. Come on, family. That's celebration. That's celebration. Guys, right now, I wanna just invite us right where we stand. Maybe you wanna pray with the person next to you. Maybe you wanna pray with people. Maybe you wanna come forward and pray. But right now, I wanna invite this church to pray for the people that they have in their life that need to come to Jesus. I wanna take a few minutes right at the end of our service to pray for people to come to Jesus in our life. So right now, I'm gonna have Carolina just kind of play the, the music. And right now, if you wanna come forward, if you've never trusted Jesus and you want to come forward and pray with one of the people in our prayer team, we'll have people in our prayer team right here. If you want, hey, I have a friend who needs Jesus. Would you pray with me for my friend? Come forward, let's get, let's get praying for the people in our oikos that need Jesus. Let's be a church that works together. So right now, I'm gonna give an opportunity. If you want to come forward and pray, Let's do that. Let's get serious about our oikos. Father, as we take this moment in this service, may our church care about people who don't know Jesus. May we feel what it feels like. May we remember it. Maybe Maybe for some of us, it's been a long time, but may we have that, that sense of what it's like to not know God. May it break our heart. May we have a desire to bring others to Jesus. Break our heart for that, Lord. God, may we start calling out every night by name, the people that we want to know Jesus. Father, I pray. I know that people have come to church today, some of them with a heavy load of cares. Maybe their marriage is on on the rocks or maybe they're financially just really, really stressed out. Maybe they're fighting through other things that are really private, but they have a load of care on their heart. God, I pray that they would see this church as a church of friends, a church of brothers and sisters that will help carry the burdens with them. And I pray, Lord, they would be willing to dive deep into community here and even get prayer even today for that, for whatever they brought in today, I pray. In Jesus' name, we're gonna just spend a few minutes right here in prayer. And then uh, I'm gonna have Jeremy close up um, our service. So if you want to bring people to Jesus, if you wanna pray for that, I wanna invite you to come forward and pray for your, for your oikos. Pray for the people in your life that need Jesus.